Welcome to GLF Live, a podcast from the Global Landscapes Forum. Did you know that the fashion industry is responsible for about 10% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions? That's more than any country in the world besides China and the US. On top of that, our clothes require a lot of water to produce. Enough, in fact, to meet the needs of 5 million people each year. We live in the age of fast fashion, where clothes are produced cheaply and brought to market quickly to follow the latest trends. And new collections are released all the time to encourage us to keep buying more and more. In today's episode, our two special guests are going to explain why that needs to change and how we can start to dress greener. Good afternoon, I guess good evening and good morning for wherever you're signing in from. Welcome to our GLF Live. My name is Natasha Elkington and I will be your host and moderator for today's discussion, where we'll be talking about the future of sustainable fashion. Um, and I guess before I int uh, introduce our wonderful guests that are joining us on this panel, just a few housekeeping things. Um, the GLF Live is, will also be available on uh, as a podcast later on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and countless other platforms. And then in the coming months, we hope to bring you exclusive content in the months ahead. Um, our audience who have signed in, thank you for joining us. And um, if you have any questions, just share them on the chats or the comments, and we'll do our best to share them with our lovely speakers. Once again, my name is Natasha Elkington. I'm signing in from uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and I'll introduce our guests. And since we're on the same time zone, um, I'll introduce Isaac first. Isaac Wikbaitaka is a, based in Kenya and is a social entrepreneur on a mission to implement the next generation of impact-driven initiatives. He is the co-founder of Label Fashion, that's L-A-B-L Fashion, which is a social enterprise that makes sustainable fashion boosting small and medium fashion brands to success. And in London, we have Bianca Pitt, who's joining us today. And she's an advisor to the environmental charity sector, an activist, a campaigner, an environmental funder and founder. She's also the founder of the Women of the Environmental Network and co-founder of She Changes Climate. Thank you both for joining us. Um, and I guess I'll just let you, thank you, um, give a bit of a summary of what, you know, your role in the sustainable fashion industry. And maybe we'll start with you, Bianca. And then Isaac can jump in and give us a bit of background of what he does. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me and, and Isaac today to speak. My, my first foray into fashion really under inverted commas was um, when I joined Nina Morenzi, who started the Sustainable Angle, which is a charity that educates the fashion industry on making more sustainable choices. She was also the founder of the Future Fabrics Expo, which is you know, now in its, I think almost 10th year of, of reiteration and has grown since its inception to become a huge fair where the alternative materials are now shown to fashion buyers and designers. What, me, what it means really, you know, we're going to explore in our conversation today, the fashion industry uh, is a hugely complex industry. Uh, there's a huge, often not transparent uh, supply chain that unfortunately comes with it. And of course, transforming this supply chain needs many actors, many agents, and um, requires many advisors also to come on board and showcase the alternatives. This is what we are doing with the Future Fabrics Expo. Excellent. Thank you. Isaac? Yeah, thank you, Natasha and Jim, uh, for having us. 
Uh, I am Isaac Widaka, based uh, in Kenya. So uh, I'm a co-founder of a company called Lebo Fashion. Lebo Fashion is a socio-sustainable uh, fashion manufacturer. And what we are doing, uh, um, we are partnering with uh, everyone in the value chain, right from the community. Community is uh, uh, growing cotton. We convert this cotton into garments that you wear. And in future, you are able to trace who produced this cotton, who uh, um, was involved in the manufacturing of this. Uh, oh, we're losing you, Isaac. Mm, I could talk in the meantime. Luckily, you know, we spoke with Isaac yesterday. So, so yeah, you know, the the it was very interesting to hear about Isaac's um, work yesterday because because looking at the fashion chain, we need to start at, at where do fabrics, where do materials even come from? You know, most of the materials traditionally were grown on farms. A lot of people know that food comes from farms, but they don't know that fashion comes from farms as well. So cotton is grown on farms. Uh, hemp, for example, which is used to make linen, was grown on farms. And, and we really derived our materials generally from the soil uh, that farmers worked. And um, unfortunately, you know, we also have chemical, chemically produced materials uh, made from fossil fuels. So polyester and nylon and acrylics uh, are actually made by originally the petrochemical industry and are oil-based. Uh, this is something I think a lot of people aren't aware of when they buy fashion garments. And particularly fast fashion garments are made from these chemically produced materials and not naturally produced materials. What, what Isaac is doing is looking at the, the materials that are produced on the farms. And what he is doing with his initiative is to have a fully transparent supply chain, which is incredibly important so that we can trace back where materials actually come from and also shine a light on the people who are working these farms, uh, you know, toiling the soil. Uh, this is something that, that we need to absolutely pay a lot of attention to, particularly if there's not strong environmental legislation, which unfortunately is still the case in many countries where a lot of these materials are produced. The production processes, then, then you know, if you once you get the the ground material, uh, there's a process of um, you know further manufacturing the fabric. So there's fabrics are dyed, for example, or treated in all sorts of ways, and then finally they are put together in workshops into clothes. And what we've got to look at is is you know the supply chain for the that that is sort of goes from the field or from the petrochemical industry all the way into the stores and then to the consumer. And I really love the slogan that was brought up by, by some demonstrators recently in London who said, people change, not climate change, which really shows what we can do to, to bring about change. You know, we can start with the people. There are a lot of people working in the entire supply chain from beginning to end. And we can work with the people who are in the supply chain and people who can influence the supply chain, chain to make the necessary change. Great. We even had a comment from the um, from our viewers, uh, one asking, like, you know, what what has land management got to do with uh, with fashion? So I guess you've made the connection. A lot, a lot. It's a very good question and, and a surprising amount. So 
a huge amount of, of land use goes not just to agriculture in the sense of feeding people, but also um, producing cotton. When we look at cotton, which is something that Isaac is working on, organic cotton, thank goodness. Uh, the cotton industry is one is an industry that uses a vast amount of chemicals. If you look at how uh, any produce is grown on fields, most people don't know that to get crop, if it's not organic, uh, not only is nitrate used to make crop grow, uh, but then as it grows, insects come. So insecticides are used, herbicides are used, so weeds don't grow. Um, hormones are sometimes even used to make plants grow faster. Uh, there is a gigantic amount of um, glyphosate used, for example, worldwide to repress weeds. And glyphosate was a nerve agent uh, originally produced in the Second World War to kill people. We now spray it on the fields uh, to repress weeds. And therefore, the cotton industry, unfortunately, has a huge, huge imprint, negative imprint on our soil health and the biodiversity in the health. Because if we spray the soil with these chemicals, of course, we change all the life that is in the soil. And what we have come to learn is that we completely depend as a planet, as people, on the health of the soil. So the microbiome that is in the soil, the many creatures that live there and their health as well. And then from that, of course, all the insects and the birds that are supposed to live on this land as well. So agriculture and land use is absolutely vital today and is something is a topic that really concerns us all and that we all have to look into. What is land used for? Uh, how is it? Yes, so it is, it is, of course, I think, sorry, I, for some reason this connection with mine is not, I keep, um, it keeps coming in and out, but I think it's um, a good platform maybe to get Isaac to jump in on there. Like, we, like you said, when we discussed the different layers, you know, in the fashion industry, and there's many, like from beginning with the soil. I think Isaac can jump in and just give us more about, you know, the whole African situation in terms of cotton and the industry and what the realities are on the ground. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Bianca, for uh, that backup. Actually, in, in addition to that, in terms of land management, uh, as labor, we are doing um, what we call regenerative farming. Uh, because the current practice involves clearing, you know, mass, you know, uh, tracts of land. And especially in Africa, most of the time what they do is burning. So if they do the burning, they clear everything. And uh, in terms of uh, healthy soil, one, it requires microorganism. If you burn, uh, if you uh, um, let the sun rays penetrate into the soils, then these microorganisms are killed. Uh, if you uh, clear the forest, uh, then it rains. This what we usually have this, you know, flood menace, flash floods. So whenever there are all these factors, then in terms of production, we are talking of um, no future, you know, because you have destroyed the future, which is the land. You know, without the land, without healthy soils, then the future is, um, of course, destroyed. And also we are talking of uh, um, over extraction of raw materials. Uh, most of the time what happens, once you, 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 you clear, then the fast fashion, everyone wants fast fashion every now and then, then um, you forget about tomorrow, you need this fashion. So you impact 
and uh, 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 negatively on uh, on soils on land. Yeah, I believe that that, that might, might I might have you know helped in terms of answering that. Yes, great. So I think, you know, like when we were discussing yesterday in our pre-chat, in terms of the layers that are in the fashion industry that, you know, we have half an hour to chat, not even, where it's difficult to kind of cover all, all the elements that are in the fashion industry, starting with soil, for example, then the production and man manufacturing, like we said, even with the, the workers who work in the industry, the, the chemical industry that contributes to that, the environment that gets affected, we have the finance and investors that are also involved the legal industry laws that need to be in place to protect workers and the environment. And then also how, you know, um, how clothes are sold, the industry itself, and then the value chain and this whole circular economy. So in terms of fashion, there's a lot of layers that um, need to be discussed in order to figure out how, how we can make it sustainable in the future. Um, within that, I think what's interesting maybe is to give the, explain like, you know, like how different it is from the global South to the global North. Like, we, we here in Kenya, like 900 million garments are um, sent from, I think from, from, from the West um, every year for us to use as secondhand clothes called mitumba. But only I think 20 to 50% of that is unusable. So it goes into our landfills. And then the rest is how we uh, function with fashion down here where we, don't, we can't have fast fashion. And whereas you know, in, in the global North, it's fast fashion that's driving this industry. Um, so maybe just to share, you know, like what your reality is on that side, Bianca, and then Isaac, to share yours on this side. And what do we see as the solutions um, to balance this out? Yeah, I mean, I think we all agree that fast fashion is completely unsustainable. It's a it's a model that that doesn't work, you know, for many many reasons. Uh, the environmental footprint is a catastrophe. The social impact on the many workers who are not paid proper salaries is a catastrophe. And uh, economically, if we don't have a circular economy and we, we produce things, you know, at actually a very high cost, the problem is that the externalities are not costed into the price of the garment. So a, a T-shirt should not ever cost, uh, you know, a, a low, low price because, because simply a lot of work, energy, water, I mean, water consumption, we haven't even touched on, goes into producing fashion garments and fashion in itself in the past we used to you know make clothes and we wore them until they fell apart we repaired them again and i am very much a supporter of the refuse reuse and recycle uh you know sort of motto we all have to keep in mind first let's refuse let's wear what we have already let's not buy if given a choice let's reuse what we have and then only even as a third step recycle you know and then only comes buying something new we should avoid buying new things at all costs at all times i'm in the, the global north has a huge legacy of um, resource extraction you know this is something that we have to come clean on we have to have to first of all face face up to our i'd say historic uh mistakes and historic debt that we also owe to the global south i have you know, this is a conversation I have a lot of the times at the moment, which is good because we need to talk it all through and we need to rearrange our, you'd, I'd say, our relationships. You know, we've become very transactional. Uh, we, you know, Europe in particular has a history of, of extracting resources from elsewhere. And this is not good for our relationship and it's not good for our planet, our systems, you know, our environment, social and economic systems are closely interconnected as the pandemic has shown 
so dramatically. And we have to really now, you know, look at how we can culturally de define what is enough. You know, we don't need more. We just need to have enough. Yeah? And what is enough? We're well beyond enough here in the global north and in the west. Um, and it's time to really look at, at how we can live together on a planet with limited resources. Right. Right. And then you come to the global south. So Isaac, you know, it's a completely different reality to, <laughs> to our fashion industry here. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, one of the things that uh, uh, makes it challenging is the disparity between the global north and uh, the global south. So you find the problems of global north are not the problems of global south. Although the global north uh, uh, is the one which creates most of these uh, uh, challenges that are being experienced in uh, the global south. Uh, one of the challenges that we are seeing is, uh, for example, like in Kenya, in this scenario, in late 1990s, it used uh, uh, to be the lead in terms of textile manufacturing. And then we had uh, globalization in terms of liberalization, uh, where you know one could dump everything, you know. And then what happened is the death, the collapse of you know the, the textile industry in Kenya. So what is usually dumped here? We have second, you know, hand clothes, and uh, you find most of these clothes which are usually given as you know charity in global north. Uh, when they come here, they're usually sold actually at a premium cost. But uh, you find a big, uh, a huge chunk. They usually you no know, cannot be used, so they usually come here to to to, to be dumped. The other thing is uh, 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 corporations. Those corporations that uh, supply you know the you know the global north, they are usually located here. You know in the global south, we usually see exploitation of the workforce. You know the labor, the kind of you know uh, uh, dimension they get. You know it's usually sometimes uh, dehumanizing. Uh, and also in terms of the policy, as uh, Bianca had stated, you know, the legis legislation, it's either whatever legislation is there is weak, or there is none at all. Or even if there is a very good registration, but because the government and the communities won't work, then they'll just overlook. Uh, the other thing, it's a, a lack of, you know, uh, the technical know-how and the knowledge. Uh, you find people just do it for the sake. Uh, those who are supposed to be giving information, you know, non-existent, and how to uh, how to be able to fix this uh, from the global south realistic way of doing things. One is collaborating with farmers, collaborate with all, you know, in in uh, not only farmers, those you know at you know the production uh, uh, stage, you know, raw materials and so forth. Uh, um, to avoid, you know, over extracting, to avoid destruction of soil and so forth. And that's what on our side we are calling it regenerative production. And also the other thing is uh, community-based production. Uh, this community-based production will help in terms of setting up small facilities where if you have a client for whatever, whether it's the global south or global north, you can have what we call batch productions. You make orders, and this, these orders will produce according to the need, not just for the purposes of producing and making money. So uh, that's another, I think, solution which might be able to fix this. And also um, transparency, you know, creating that circularity. You have to show how was it produced, who have been involved, 
are there any mal mal practices that have been have taken place so um it's a whole um, topic to discuss uh, and it can be done and uh, for us uh, you know whether whether we are the one who are on the ground implementing whether it's bianca who, are, who is on the other hand you know uh, helping pushing for the formulation of policy it can be done we are doing what we need is just a concerted effort then everyone joins on board and then this would be fixed once and for all, even if it's not completely. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I think even like when we were discussing um, yesterday about even just mindsets, like, you know, the youth um, are also the big, you know, consumers of fashion. And um, it's also changing, like, you know, like I think uh, Bianchi was saying yesterday that, you know, we had a long time ago, there was more like, it was about quality rather than quantity. Um, and I think th this mindset has to change. And I think also the fashion industry needs to jump on that too. Um, like we're saying, like 900 billion, what is it? 100 billion garments are produced every year in the fashion industry, which is a lot. And then all of it ends up in landfills. Nobody needs, I mean, we've got 8 billion people on the planet. And and I mean, that tells you how, how there's some people out there ferociously hoarding uh, or at least buying and then sadly dismissing again uh, their belongings. But I think just to, to come back on what the Global South can do, what I would really like to see happen is simply much stricter environmental laws be uh, both developed in all the Global South. I think that is absolutely vital to start with. And then, of course, these environmental laws have to be also enforced. So in Europe, for example, we have very good environmental legislation now, I would say, on the whole, and it's getting better all the time, uh, thanks to charities like Client Earth, for example, who do a lot of policy work and advocacy work. Um, it's a not-for-profit law firm that I also advise. They are, they are, for example, they have been working with the EU on the deforestation law. So what we are ensuring here is that no goods enter the European Union that have come from a place where deforestation has just taken place. So what we want to avoid is any further deforestation, as you know. We absolutely have to look after forests. They are sacrosanct. We must not touch them. We need them for our survival. Um, in fact, we need more forests. So that would take us all the way to regenerative um, practices, regenerative agriculture, regenerative everything, which is a way to restore the planet whilst also still producing things, it is absolutely possible. Uh, and, and then if you have strict environmental laws, you know, then you have a tool with which you can go after corporations, for example, right? So if a corporation like Cargill, for example, they have been, uh, it's, it's the world's largest soy producer, and they have been uh, buying soy from deforested areas, well, we are. We have just launched, as a client, Earth has launched a formal complaint against them uh, with the OECD to say that they have not used the appropriate care to make sure that their supply chain is sustainable and is indeed following all the regulations that are in place now worldwide. And with these tools, we can actually do something. But if there are no laws, then it's a free for all. And in Africa, for example, Africa is a huge continent. Uh, it's, it's difficult to apply a sort of general view on Africa because Africa is actually many, many different countries. 
But in Africa, the forest laws are actually a mix of, of community laws. So Isaac was talking about the local communities, which are absolutely vital. If we don't have people in the local community looking after forest, there won't be any forest, uh, unfortunately, because someone will come and take away what is currently in the forest. So we need the local communities. We need local forest rights to be protected and respected. And the governments have to do that. So we need to have basically build a coalition between the governments all the way to the local people uh, to define a proper set of laws to protect the forest and to enforce that set of laws. If we have that in place and if everyone is winning out of this situation, you know, everyone needs to feel that they're getting something out of this. This is unfortunately how we as humans operate, but but it can work. We've seen that in, in countries like Ghana, for example, which Client Earth worked with uh, to protect the forest there. They worked with the government, they worked with the local communities, they looked all at all the existing laws, uh, you know, ancient laws, some of them, and looked at how a compromise can be found between the different parties to protect the land. And, and this is what was achieved. So so it is absolutely possible, and we've just got to really push uh, for this development to happen. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of uh, community engagement, uh, um, that is usually very, very vital, especially in Global South, if the community is not educated, then even if you have those laws, you know, everyone would be like, okay, uh, we don't know something like that, and especially in terms of penetration you know, of information. For example, in Kenya, it can be a little bit different, especially if you go to the north, where there is no network coverage. You know, uh, people get, you know, uh, usually like, for example, like, uh, um, yeah, there was this uh, instance where the former president visited a village in the northern Kenya, northern part of Kenya, and then they are saying, oh, we had your father die, just died, you know, and uh, the person died in 1978, and then in 2017 is when they are getting this information, real information, that their father died, you know. So in terms of uh, information penetration, then also it requires in terms of, uh, you know, resources, you know, and also who are these who are, do, you know, will be doing that implementing the registration. In Africa, it's a little bit difficult. Uh, uh, you'll go maybe, for example, like uh, 20 kilometers, and then you find someone burning, you know, a forest there, you know, uh, or they had Mutumba, and then they are just buying, burning in the open. So it's a whole set of uh, getting to an understand the root cause, uh, um, empower these communities, how they are, empowered now that becomes the challenge to be able to involve them yeah and also in terms of uh, 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 the global north the consumers have to be educated to ensure that they really make a follow-up to ensure whatever product they're consuming is in conformity to the laws that are in the global north so by this what i mean is they can be able to trace whatever it doesn't even have to, to, to be fashion that really can help so that uh, these uh, uh, you know, corporations are able to educate the community. I think it's very important, like what you both, oh, sorry, just to jump in, just um, like to summarize, you know, this education of uh, our local communities. I think that's very important because when you're hungry, if you're not empowered and you're hungry, you're going to let anyone just come and whatever, you know, shillings they give you for taking your trees, you'll take it, you know? So the, like we said, like there's so many levels and then the root cause of it, there's many root 
the root is farther down. So we have other social issues, cultural, political, you know, economic that we have to also fix within our countries in order to be part of this game um, and, and do it sustainably because we're being exploited because ourselves are not protecting our own people. Exactly. So, so you, everyone's a participant in this game. And we've, what we've got to do is stop playing this game, basically. We have to stop accepting this game. You know, this game is not acceptable on many levels. It's not acceptable. And this is where we can, you know, this is where we have to disrupt, essentially. And this is where we have to bring change. What we don't want is, uh, is the global so so south to model the west or the, the north there. Right, that would be a disaster. And and you know, instead, the global north also has to look at the global south and see what is is done really well in the global south. If I look at the communities and indigenous people, you know, they are the best in preserving biodiversity. They have found a way to sustainably exist with the nature around them. We have lost that connection to nature completely in the global north, but it's also rapidly happening in the global south. Unfortunately, as for example, the African continent is urbanizing, right? We know more and more people are moving into cities. We've got these mega cities developing now. And moving into city can automatically lead to a disconnection from the land. So the question is, you know, if we only have a few people remaining in the countryside, how can we guarantee that their work is respected, that they are respected, that they are protected environmentally? And that these sustainable practices are continued, yeah, and not unsustainable practices are imported from elsewhere, right? The Global South has a lot of reason to be very, very proud of its heritage, very proud of its heritage, you know, culturally, uh, in terms of looking after nature and so on. And we need to make a thing about that, you know, this is something that and that you know, has to be held up, I would say, against the global north, you know, and against any extractive, uh, you know, practice that, that unfortunately has been brought to the global south by the west. Yeah, that really has to stop. Indeed. Um, yes, and I have some questions from the audience. I'm going to just uh, throw them out there and then, you know, whoever wants to answer, please go for it. So our time is slowly coming to an end. Um, so we have a comment from LinkedIn, which says sustainable fashion can also minimize waste by using upcycled materials like repurposed clothing and fabric scraps. Um, and designers can create um, using materials and reduce their production's environmental impact, which I think is, yes, I think we all agree with that one. And then we have um, someone asking if you have any idea on using bamboo fibers for packing materials. Um, and then there's one more question about, can you please share your roles, your views on the role of traditional textiles? and biodiversity in sustainable fashion? That's a really good question. The view on sustainable, well, so, so the, the um, I'm glad someone's mentioning packaging materials because, because that's a huge concern. We know that a lot of deforestation takes place because of a uh, sort of renewed trend to, to use pulp and uh, paper for packaging. Uh, that is a huge issue. Exactly. It is a huge issue indeed. And we have seen virgin forest be cut down to create packaging. All your little Amazon uh, parcels that come through the door, you know, are part of this problem. Uh, we've got to look at other ways to produce packaging materials. Again, refuse, 
reuse, recycle. You know, we should all be reusing packaging that comes into the house. I'm very encouraged to see that, for example, on the secondhand platform, fashion platform that my daughter uses called Vinted. Uh, people just wrap things in plastic bags, put some sellotape over it and send it in the purse. And I think that's fantastic because what does it mean? Old, old packaging is being reused as well and not new packaging created. Um, old, you know, old materials, the, the hemp is a, and, and linen, for example, is an incredible material. I can't sing its praises enough. If you look up its properties, it's, it's, it's sustainable, it's cooling on the skin, it is, uh, it's all sorts of things. So, and it can produce fairly easily and regrown very easily. Uh, wool, for example, in England um, was once the material that was used widely to clothe us, us and our children. And that is a fantastic material as well because it lasts forever. Uh, it, it keeps us warm. It, um, yeah, it's 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 got all sorts of properties on top of that. So, so, and what I have found certainly as a consumer or or user, I don't even want to call myself a consumer here because I reuse everything, uh, is that they last forever. They just go on and on and on. There's so much mileage in it that my mother has kept the jumpers that I used to wear as a child, and my children still wear them. You know, and and amongst friends, we're sharing old clothing that we used to wear as children. This is what we do. And we're proud of it. Proud, because what does it show? It show, shows that our parents already bought good quality clothing that can hand it on from generation to the next generation. And that's, that's a sign of quality. It's a sign of good stewardship and good investment and strategy, in my view. If we constantly have to go out buying cheap things and then chucking them away, that's very, very poor management. <laughs> very poor resource management, poor use of money, and so on, right? So, so I, I think, yeah. yeah, sorry, I was going to jump in and just say, like, I think, you know, like even the film industry and all the influences that we have out there could also, you know, play a part in this, where it's like, it's like shameful to wear the same outfit twice if you're going to appear, you know, in social media or in social circles, you know, there's this um, ethos uh, that's going around where I think also they need to change which will help influence others. Yeah, see, I see it completely. I, I think this sort of throwaway culture is totally uncool. It's a, mat, it's, it's a matter of viewpoint, as always. Everything has two sides. I just think it's deeply uncool. It shows lack of imagination. You know, you just, if you can't, exactly, and waste it. Who wants to waste? I, I just don't think that's attractive in any way, you know? So, no. Yes, I, I, Isaac, maybe can you can you can talk about the role of traditional textiles because I know now with label, um, with your uh, your new fashion label, like I think that's your the way that you're going to go. So maybe um, talk to us a bit more of the role of traditional textiles and biodiversity in what you're doing. Um, is one of the questions from the audience. Yeah, one of the things about uh, traditional textiles, especially in uh, in Africa, uh, you know, uh, it, it used to be largely hygiene kids. So it was just more, uh, uh, you know, you have your sheep or goat and so forth. Uh, uh, but of course, we have some instances where they used to have, uh, for example, like Bianca has spoken of hemp. It has been used traditionally, especially to make ropes. Uh, and, uh, and and also we have some trees, you know, the back of trees have been used uh, to make uh, uh, textiles. Um, one thing still that remains, it's, uh, the conservation, especially when we have to talk of 
even bamboo because it has been used uh, traditionally. Uh, with mass production, uh, going back to the traditional way, we, you find that again, we are creating homogeneous way of production. What you are saying is we clear hundreds of acres and then we plant hemp or we, we plant the trees that you know bring about these you know, uh, uh, textiles or even bamboo. Then that's monoculture. Is monoculture sustainable? So therefore, uh, it's all the same in whether it's you know uh, the current fashion or traditional one. You need to have something that creates an atmosphere for environmental conservation. Um, of course, we are not talking of preservation. We are just talking of you have to conserve. You know, you have to use what you have spun, and therefore, um, traditional farming. Uh, traditional production of textiles, yes, but regeneratively. It must be able to regenerate. It shouldn't be mass production. I totally agree with you, Isaac. I think it's vital. Biodiversity stems from diversity, not monoculture. So if we want to have flourishing forests again and flourishing meadows, we've got to make sure that we we you know plant with the environment in mind. And by the way, I think the same is true for for people as well. If I go to, you know, a gathering and everyone is just dressed in gray suits, uh, it makes me feel almost uncomfortable now. <laughs> I just realized that we have have lost all the diversity here in again, you know, this is very much sort of office culture in in the global north. And uh, on the other hand, if you go to travel to Asia or to Africa, you see the most fantastic fashion there. You know, the most incredible clothes. Uh, fabrics that have been made by you know by many generations that have that last that don't have to be thrown away that can be repaired as well and that are cherished by each generation that holds these garments right and and this is what we want to get back to is we want to only own things that we love and are proud of and that we can look after and not not spread ourselves too thin and that is happening in the global south, by the way, and the global north. You know, we've got the whole vintage culture, uh, and that's big. It's a big deal. These uh, Depop, these fashion platforms now, like Depop and Vinted, are, are huge, huge conglomerates now, and young people really embrace them, which is fantastic. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we can educate everyone else around the world to do the same, simply to swap, to change, to, to keep... Uh, not to throw away. Yeah, maybe also in addition, uh, um, for example, like what we are, we are doing as label uh, in terms of uh, reuse. Um, if we produce, for example, a T-shirt, uh, we want to embed uh, uh, a QR code, and then we are we are building a, a, a blockchain platform for traceability. So therefore, if you use this T-shirt and you want to throw it away, or you cannot, uh, you can no longer lose, yeah, use it then you can ship it back to us and then we can repurpose. Then it can be reused as something else. So therefore, in regard to the question on uh, you know reuse, there is uh, a lot of ways we can be able to check on this trend. Yeah, there was, there was a question about recycled fiber. Recycled fiber is good, but but not, you know, can be a problem as well. Um, you The more you recycle a, chem a chemically produced fiber, like, like polyester, say, the shorter the uh, individual 
threads of the material become and the less reusable it becomes and the more damaging the production process is as well, unfortunately. So if you want my personal advice, I was always, as a matter of principle, stay away from any, any fossil fuel-based fiber. Uh, another problem of that is that when it is washed in a, in a washing machine, uh, then the you know fine nanoparticles of that fiber will break off the fabric and then unfortunately will go into the wastewater and that then washes all the way into the sea and the poor fish that swim around our islands uh, and in the oceans have to drink this you know this plastic fiber mixed with the seawater and this is then what we eat when we land a fish again so so it just simply doesn't work as well as advertised i do welcome the efforts of uh bigger retailers to use recycled fiber i think that is good as a start but we really want to start from scratch and think about you know thinking about the circular economy i recommend everyone reads the cradle to cradle book which explains in detail what that means is that when we produce something we have to think about the entire use of that product all the way to its end and ideally we don't want to have any waste at the end but we want something to be reused great book uh great ted talk for those who want to watch something on ted for that yeah, actually, in regard to that, that's why, for example, like us uh, yeah, at Lebon, we are only focusing on cotton. So we also try to, you know, okay, it's a, it's a, it's a big debate. Yeah. Uh, we are trying to uh, not focus on anything synthetic. And also the kind of paint we are using, we are using water-based, organic water-based uh, uh, in for printing purposes. Therefore, because that becomes really a whole issue, as you have defined, especially in terms of... Uh, yeah, destroying the soil and water sources, especially like in global south, we have a problem with water. In global north, they are discouraging water. You know, it's a lot of water, especially like, uh, in Europe, mainland uh, Europe. But in global south, we have a problem with water. So if you destroy the little that we have, then uh, it becomes really a big challenge. Yeah. Exactly. And again, there I would expect some serious cases, law cases to to happen, you know, if if the the legal framework is there. Because why should people in the global south accept that their river is being poisoned by a Western fashion company? I mean, if I was living there, I would slam my fist on the table and would say enough is enough. You can pay for the cure up now, <laughs> you know. But we've got to take matters into our hands and it's urgent, you know, no more waiting and no more being sweet here. We have to change the status quo. Hence the need for education, uh, especially here on, uh, you know, uh, local communities, because uh, you have to have a team, you have to educate people, you have to make them learn and then they're able to take some initiatives. So actually that's the main challenge. Yeah. And you rightly say, same here in the in the global north, we also have to learn, you know, we have to learn about how, you know, we have to learn how to be sustainable again. We have lost that practice in the global south. You have that still, which is is a big, big strength, I would say. You know, you should come and educate us on this. And, and law is a very powerful tool that we have used very successfully in in you know, certainly in Europe and in America, it actually environmental law came out of the 
civil rights movement in the US and um, was there to protect the public interest, you know, and, and so we have a public interest in clean air and clean water. Uh, hopefully we will soon have a law, a crime in international law that is called ecocide. And hopefully we will be able to protect public interest, that is people's interests, much, much better going forward. I think if we do that, then we, and if, for example, we have ecocide as a crime in international law, then we can really make progress because that would reframe everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, yeah, Natasha is uh, having some uh, issues. So, therefore, um, yeah, I, I, I'll move ahead on the, on the role of uh, you know, role of, of label. Yeah, because that one was cut off by you no know, connection uh, issues. Yeah, so label being a socio uh, sustainable uh, manufacturing firm, what we're doing, we are, we are setting up manufacturing facilities uh, deep in the communities in Kenya. And currently we have our piloting uh, uh, facility. We are calling them community facilities. And uh, uh, um, we empower the community to be able to produce all the raw materials that we need sustainably through regenerative agriculture. And we are insisting on that because we have uh, uh, people on the ground uh, uh, support staff who are able to, to give education yeah. and also to be able to um, uh, uh, to follow on the process to map, you know, because of traceability. And then uh, uh, we produce the garments. This garment still will be able to trace, you know, all those who will buy. So that if you have any challenge, we are able, you know, to um, you know, to 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 amend and be able to fix that. And also they can be sent back. And also we are uh, doing carbon sequestration, uh, where we want to empower the community, you know, in terms of buying back this, you know, carbon, uh, because also we want to uh, apart from. Uh, um, you know, cotton and uh, ink dye, you know, components. We also help them, you know, grow trees, plant more trees. Then with this, it means they're also going to help, you know, reducing the amount of carbon in the air. So um, therefore, that's the role the boat is uh, playing. So I see Natasha is back. So um, thank you so much. Thank you for that. Thank you for holding the, the session. Sorry, I don't know what happened. I got uh, kicked out. Um, um, I think we should be wrapping up, but I, I, I thank you for this conversation. I think I wanted to like just summarize, you know, all the topics that we've covered with such an interesting discussion in terms of the layers um, that we've talked about in the fashion industry where, you know, the, the solutions, I think we're, it's about solving the issues, not, you know, we can rant about the problems, but what are the, you know, the, the solutions? And I think, you know, we've covered a lot of them where education is a big part of it. Um, our, our legal system needs to protect workers and the environment, um, how the, 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 the chemical industry participates, um, investors. Um, but education, I think, is a big one, working with local communities and even changing the kind of materials that we are using for fashion are one of the, you know, three of the big solutions that we um, have talked about here. Um, so I guess maybe just to wrap up the session, you could just, you know, your parting comments, uh, Bianca and Isaac, and then we'll we'll wrap this up and then be able to share it later on with our bigger, wider audience. I think this this environmental, you know, catastrophe that we've got on our hands now really requires all our efforts. It requires all of us to step in and do whatever we can do within the workspace we're working in, 
within the industry we are operating in with the networks that we have to do our best to bring about that change, to help transform to a sustainable system. And that includes also a sustainable fashion system. So whether we are consumers or citizens or work in a corporation or work in government, we, the people, can make the change, and we should really not let, let we can't let that opportunity go to waste. This is absolutely vital. And I want to congratulate Isaac on being a founder of a new business. I think this should be the new founder area era. So it's a time to now really bring about your your you know, bring in your entrepreneurial ideas and make them happen. Do take the risk. It's well worth it. I co-founded an organization called She Changes Climate with two others to bring women into leadership because we want to hear from them. We need their vision and their expertise in leadership now very urgently. And um, let's make sure nobody sits around idle, uh, but that everyone is involved in this great effort. Hope to see you there. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, also on my side, uh, side, I would like to call upon everyone to be able to join uh, in this journey to sustainability. Even it doesn't have to be fashion. Um, we have a future, and this future uh, should be respected. Just we found, you know, our our forefathers have been protected, you know, uh, all the environment especially uh, here on the global south and also of course everyone should be involved therefore why should we leave it worse than we found it i think we are supposed to make it better than we found it also um uh, um i, I also call upon you know our, our audience uh, you can follow our journey it's a label on what we are doing for us it's a whole you know uh, um, human centered you know uh, uh, setup where we are not just there being a social enterprise, we are not there just for you know for um, profits. Uh, actually, fifty percent of fifty percent of labor is going to be owned uh, by the community, by fashion brands, or those who believe in this idea. So therefore, it doesn't have to necessarily be label, but everyone is encouraged to uh, start their own initiative. And I believe it will be a success story where everyone uh, is, you know, the, you know can, that can be replicated elsewhere. Therefore, our audience, uh, Natasha, you know, Bianca, and the whole, you know, team, uh, Diego, yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, too. Thank you both. Wish you a lovely rest of your day. And thank you to the audience for joining in. Again, this will be pod. You can watch this as a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. And um, yeah, we hope that we can carry on this conversation at a later date and see where we are in terms of sustainability in fashion. Thank you both. <laughs>